0: Hello again, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the podcast. This is episode nine. And guess what? The Grizzlies finally played a game after five had been postponed, and it was a great one for the Grizzlies on the road in San Antonio. So, at long last, we'll actually have some real basketball to talk about in That Was the Week That Was. In addition to That Was the Week That Was, I've got some PD points. And um, we'll check in with our latest friend of the program, Mark Boyle, the longtime radio voice of the Indiana Pacers. We'll preview Tuesday's game in America's Heartland as the Grizzlies take on Indiana to end a three games in four nights stretch. And then we'll wrap up episode nine with the latest installment of 901 Knowledge, part two of my conversation with Jeff Calkins, the longtime sports columnist in Memphis. But first... The Grizz Weekly Grind is brought to you today by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal is to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be, whether it be on the court, in the classroom, or in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. So, that was the week that was. Let's take a look. Grizzlies on Saturday night go to San Antonio after having five games postponed due to COVID-19 protocols, health and safety protocols, whatever you want to call them. Jonas Valanciunas on the trip but not available to play. Grayson Allen also in health and safety protocols. Grizzlies also without Killian Tilly. They're also without Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, They're also (laughs) without Sean McDermott and Justice Winslow. And then the Grizzlies go in. And take on a San Antonio team that has no injuries to report. And the Grizzlies handle business 129 to 112. Fantastic effort for the Grizzlies. Grizzlies record 34 assists. Another road game with 30 plus assists. That's four in a row on the road where the Grizzlies have racked up 34 or more assists. John Morant leading the way with 11. Tyus Jones had eight. So John Morant, his second consecutive double double. And second double double of the season overall, nineteen and eleven for him. Grizzlies shot fifty six percent against San Antonio, which was amazing. Grizzlies also season high seventeen made threes and fifty six paint points for the Grizzlies. So uh, great start for the Grizzlies. It's always the question we ask: Is it rest or will it be rust? It was definitely more rest than rust for the Grizzlies. Now they remain in San Antonio. And we'll take on the Spurs Monday night, seven thirty start at AT and T Center on Fox Sports Southeast. Uh, One other bit of news that came out of the week, and it was just announced as the Grizzlies were about to take the floor in San Antonio, because the Grizzlies have had a total of six games postponed, five of them consecutively. The league is trying not to backload the schedule for the teams that have gotten sideways with COVID nineteen situations. So the NBA trying to uh, put some more games in the front end so that you don't have this horrible imbalance on the back end. So it's not like the Grizzlies are going to have all six of their postponed games made up in the second half. At least that's the goal on the part of the NBA. Uh, The Grizzlies were to play Oklahoma City in Memphis. That was targeted to be in the second half of the season. Uh, The NBA has now moved that game, and Oklahoma City will be in Memphis on February the 17th. It'll be an 8 o'clock. Tips. So, uh, at least one of the postponed games has been moved, uh, or has been shuffling around. Uh, where Oklahoma City will now play in the first half of the season in Memphis. So that was that was the week that was, and we transition from that to today's edition of Petey's Points. Number one, love the city uniforms, the city edition uniforms, grit, grind, and groove. Isaac Hayes inspired black with the stacks font style uh, on the jersey, uh, grooves or what looked like grooves uh, up and down the front of the jersey, making it look like a record. I, I mean, just fantastic stuff. And one of the things that you have to really give the Grizzlies a lot of credit for and their entire leadership staff is their ability to work with Nike and come up with some fantastic city edition jerseys. Uh, There were were the sleeved jerseys, the MLK jerseys uh, that had the wreath on the front uh, and took the colors of the Lorraine Motel, that a few years ago. And then a couple years ago, the uh, very stark black and white City Edition uniforms that evoke the I Am A Man signs from the iconic Civil Rights March. Grizzlies just do a fantastic job. They think of everything when they put these City Edition uniforms together and uh, they just managed to top themselves year after year after year so Grizzlies have won those uniforms uh, in each of the last two games and they have come up winners in both of those PD's point number two Dylan Brooks now there might not be a more polarizing player on the Grizzlies roster than Dylan Brooks plays with an edge sometimes over the edge sometimes a little too aggressively Uh, really had some serious foul problems in the first couple games of the season, but on the other hand, he's unafraid to take big shots in the big moment, and he can rise to the occasion, as he did in San Antonio. The other thing too about Dylan Brooks is he's learning the NBA game, and he is averaging a career high in assists. So even though he's not shooting the ball real well, real, real well right now, he is getting his other teammates involved, and uh, but is still ready and willing to take the big shot in the big moment. So let's give Dylan Brooks a little credit. And while we're giving credit, let's give some credit to the Grizzlies' front office uh, and what they did, not only in last year's draft, which was pretty easy. John Morant, that's an easy pick. But they get Brandon Clark, who is a steal of the draft, first-team all-rookie. Grizzlies going to have a couple of guys that are going to be vying for all-rookie honors again this year with Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain. As we record this, Desmond Bain is leading the NBA, shooting 52% from 3 and Tillman has started each of the last two games for Jonas Valanciunas who's been out due to health and safety protocols. So the Grizzlies front office they have drafted well and that doesn't happen all the time all over the NBA and you know ironic that they're playing San Antonio now because San Antonio's key to success is you know they got a couple lottery picks in Robinson and Duncan and they managed to find guys either late in the first round or in the second round to surround them. Uh, I mean, you know, Kyle Anderson was a late first round pick. Manu Ginobili was a late second round pick. I mean, the guys that they have been able to get, they have done a fantastic job of scouting and finding value, whether it's late in the first round or in the second round. And the Grizzlies are doing the same thing. They've done it each of the last two years where they've come up with three rotational players by drafting guys who were outside of the lottery. And they all have been important contributors to the Grizzlies. So, Props to the Grizzlies front office on that. Final Petey's point today. Many of you may have read the article in the Daily Memphian uh, from today's guest, Jeff Calkins, on Rob Fisher, our sideline reporter on Fox Sports Southeast. Rob talking about his battle with depression, suicidal depression, to be precise. Uh, All of us know Rob. We love Rob. Rob. The job that he does is phenomenal. I would not trade Rob Fisher for any sideline reporter in the NBA because he is so close to the team. He researches so well. Um, there's more to him than, than, the, than the sport coats and the shoes and everything else. And he is one of the best individuals you could ever hope to work for in any walk of life. And we're thrilled that he is part of our team, continues to be part of our team. He's our brother, and, and we support him. And one of the things, you know, in this country we do have issues with healthcare, a lot of issues with healthcare. And one of the issues we have with healthcare is about mental health care, that we don't talk about it enough, that mental health issues are swept under the rug. If you are sweeping mental health under issues under the rug, you are doing a huge, huge disservice to people who need help. And Rob spoke up, inspiring other people who may have a similar diagnosis to go and get help. So, Rob Fisher, props to you, man. That was fantastic. And we support you 100%. Well, the Grizzlies will wrap up this current three-game road trip with a Tuesday night tilt in Indiana when they take on the Indiana Pacers. Mark Boyle has been their voice for longer than anybody else, so there is no better friend of the program to have than Mark Boyle. Today's friend of the program is the radio voice of the Indiana Pacers, Mark Boyle, longest tenured announcer in Pacers history, now working on year number 33. Mark, team's off to a really, really good start. New coach in Nate Bjorkren. What is his philosophy? How does he
1: want this Pacers team to play? Well, he's got a lot of things he wants to implement. Some he's been able to, and others have been a little more difficult because of the personnel. He likes to change defenses, which is not the way they've done things around here. Although they've had really good defensive performances here for a long time. They were sixth in the league last season. Uh, And they're in the middle of the pack this season. So, uh, so far, the results haven't been as good. They force more turnovers, but they're one of the worst teams in the league at defending the three-point shot. And so they do have some areas of concern. On the other hand, offensively, they've been better. They've been in the top 10 most of the year. Whereas in the past, uh, under Nate McMillan, they've been middle of the pack or perhaps even a little bit lower. So it's too early to judge the returns, except to say this. They've got a winning record. And they've struggled just as they did last year with injuries. So I think on balance, it's fair to say they're pretty pleased. Has
0: he brought a lot of the Nick Nurse philosophy from Toronto? Is, is that affecting the
1: style of play? I think that's a large part of it. It's not totally replicated you know you can only do what your personnel allows you to do it toronto has a different kind of team than indiana does but he's very much influenced by nick they've been together for a long time first in the g league and then in toronto they competed against each other in the g league for a period and uh, i think it would be fair to say that nick is is one of nate's mentors so yes there's quite a bit of the same philosophy he's a very open communicator much like the uh, young coaches around the league. Now it's a different style, which is not to say it's better or worse, but it seems to resonate with today's players. Uh, The players here have commented on more than one occasion uh, unsolicited uh, how much they enjoy his communication style. So that seems to be working for him. Uh, Nate McMillan, I thought did a terrific job, but they decided that that four year run had reached a conclusion and it wasn't unfair, not by NBA standards. Pete, you know how often coaches are swapped in and out. They wanted a younger person. They wanted a fresher voice. They wanted what they, and uh, Kevin Pritchard addressed this in the press conference following the hiring of Nate Orkman, They wanted a guy that was better at communicating with young players. Uh, now, Nate McMillan was old school. He made a lot of changes over the time he was here as an assistant and then the head coach. But he still was old school, and I think there were some players here now, in retrospect, that maybe weren't happy with Nate McMillan. Now we'll see how it plays out. Nate McMillan was an excellent coach. But this guy might be a good coach, too, and he might be a better fit for this personnel. We'll see. Malcolm Brogdon, again, having
0: another outstanding season. I think his floor generalship, his leadership, his ability to get guys involved has has taken a step forward this year. Are you seeing that same thing?
1: I think he's probably the main beneficiary of the coaching change. He never said anything and the coaches never said anything. And this is just my opinion. And it's one of the things that we've missed with uh, COVID-19. I'm glad we're working at all, Pete, and I know you are too, but we don't go to practice anymore. I don't talk to players. I don't talk to coaches. I don't know any more about what's going on than the fans do. But in the past we were going down there and we were establishing relationships and you could read between the lines and, This is where my conclusion is coming from. It's just an opinion. I thought that he chafed a little bit under Nate McMillan. Nate was more structured. Uh, Nate Bjorkman is a little less structured. He's more free-flowing. He's encouraging players to look for their shots. They want to play at a faster pace. Remember, one of the reasons that Brogdon was open to leaving Milwaukee, where he was a key member of their team, was because he wanted more responsibility and he wanted a more traditional role. When he was in Milwaukee, they had Giannis Antetokounmpo. They didn't need a traditional point guard. Here they use him in that way, although he's very good at scoring, too. And I think he's flourished under this new regime. So we'll see how it plays out. Still, in my estimation, too small a sample size to jump to any conclusions. But 17, 18 games in, I think you can start to see some things and maybe extrapolate into the future. And I think he is going to have a really good season, possibly – If there were an all-star game, an all-star caliber season, he's doing that well. What
0: about Miles Turner? Uh, There had always been some lingering questions whether he and Sabonis could coexist in the lineup at the same time. But right now, both of those guys are having fantastic seasons. And and Miles Turner seems to be playing a little bit more down low, although he does
1: like the three-point shot. He, to me, Pete, has been the biggest surprise. And this is why. Not that I didn't think he was a good player. He was a good player. But typically, when a guy's been in the league three, four, five years, he's generally what he is. He's not going to get appreciably better, nor if he's young, is he going to start to deteriorate. And Miles was what Miles was. He was a finesse player. He was an exceptional shot blocker. Uh, He mostly lingered on the perimeter, and he had a good shot from out there, but he didn't like to go down low. At least that was the perception. He didn't like to mix it up. For his size, he was a poor rebounder. That was the book on him. Coming into this season. Now, this year, he's more involved offensively. He puts the ball on the floor. He drives it to the basket. He still shoots the three. And although he started slowly, he's starting to shoot that well now, too. He's an extraordinary shot blocker, as was the case previously. But now he's getting six, seven, eight rebounds a night, sometimes 10. He never did that before. Now, granted, there are more possessions in the Pacer games now than there were in the past, but not an extraordinary amount more. So that doesn't totally explain it. He just looks more aggressive, more comfortable, more confident. And again, this is just me offering an off the cuff observation. I haven't talked to Miles Turner since March of 2020, so I don't have any inside information. But my guess is that Nate Bjorkman has instilled confidence in him. Look for your shot. Do more things. And I think that confidence is manifesting itself, at least to a degree, in a more aggressive approach. I think those things are all tied together. So he's doing what he always did. Good perimeter shooter, block shots, and now he's doing some more things. And he's turned into a, not turned into, he was already. Uh, he's an excellent compliment to Sabonis in those four or five slots. Our friend of the program today is Mark Boyle,
0: longtime radio voice of the Indiana Pacers. You mentioned Sabonis. Uh, I had the chance to call his father's games when I was in Portland, which makes me feel kind of old. Uh a triple-double against Charlotte, um, gifted big man in so many ways, a uh, little bit of a scare with with a, a, a knee bruise, but came back strong with that triple-double. What has his game done in terms of development year over year?
1: Well, we've had him for most of his career. Remember, he started in Oklahoma City and then came in the Paul George trade, and he's been real good since he's gotten here. They've used him differently than Oklahoma City did. Oklahoma City had a whole different roster Uh, And as a rookie, he didn't really fit in there, but they wanted to play him because he was a high draft choice and they liked him. But here, they needed what he is good at, which is a presence down near the basket. Uh, Offensively, he's strong. He's tough. He's a terrific rebounder. And outside of Nikola Jokic, I think he's probably the best passing big man in the game. Uh, You know, his skills are not that dissimilar to his dad's. We saw his dad in Portland when he was physically a wreck but he was still a really good player and an extraordinary passer. And I know you have, to, Pete, I've talked to guys that played against him in his prime, George McGinnis, for example, who say that when he was in his prime, he was one of the very best players in the world, in the whole world. Now, we didn't see him until, how old was he when he got to Portland, 35? He was in his like
0: 30s it. and multiple ankle and Achilles surgeries. Yeah. And you're right, he was yeah. physically he was pretty well broken
1: down. Yeah, Well, uh, DeMontis is young and not broken down, and he's just a really solid player. He's not a great defender, but he's good enough, and there's really not a hole in his game. Most big men can't pass like he does. He's not a great perimeter shooter, and Nate Bjorkman has given him the green light. He started 9 of 17 from out there, but since then he's been under 30%. So he's hit and miss as far as that's concerned, but otherwise his game is consistent. He's not one of these guys that will get you uh, 25 and 15 on Tuesday and then you know nine and four on Thursday. He gets you 18, 20, 21, 22 points every night. He gets 10, 12, 14 rebounds every night, hands out five or six assists. Now, he does lead the team in turnovers by a considerable margin, but a lot of that, and it's still a turnover. He's not throwing balls into the stands. He commits a lot of offensive fouls. Uh, so he does commit turnovers. If you want to nitpick, you could go there. But he's been really, really good. He's had a double-double in every single game, except for the game that he left early with that knee injury. And he's been, I would say, easily their most consistent player, along with Brogdon, probably their best player.
0: We in the broadcast brotherhood are facing all kinds of challenges in this COVID pandemic world. How has COVID-19 changed Your ability to do your job and your routine
1: as a radio announcer for the Pacers? Well, similar to yours, I'm sure you're experiencing the same things and you've probably shared it with your viewers and listeners. Uh, For us, I don't want to say there are good things about it because that's being flippant about a very serious situation. But I will tell you this I do not miss the travel. I never minded it, but I don't miss it. Now, I do miss not being at games, that's very difficult. And I think no matter how good you are at this job, Pete, you cannot do it to whatever extent your talent allows you to do it as well as you can from a studio. It's just not possible. So we all do the best we can. The thing I've been surprised about is this. I am a little bit surprised by how disconnected I feel. I did not anticipate that. We see our our peers, at least our peers with our own team. We see the TV guys. We see the behind-the-scenes types on game nights. But we don't see the rest of, of our colleagues at the Pacers. We don't talk to the Pacers, Pacers players and coaches except via Zoom. I do a five-minute thing with Nate Bjorkman every week for our weekly show. So we've done five or six of them. I still haven't met the guy in person. It's just sort of odd. So you can't establish relationships like you could back in the day. And although it's difficult to quantify how that affects a broadcast, I think it does. Because when you know little things about your players and coaches, even if you don't share them, it helps you put the whole thing into context and share it with your viewers and listeners. So we do miss that. Um, And I'm hopeful, just as I know you are, that our listeners and viewers don't really notice much of a difference. Uh, We see it from a different perspective. I notice a difference. Uh, I don't think it's... A huge difference. Most of us at this level are really professional and, if I might be immodest, pretty good at what we do. So I think we max out in terms of what we can do, but it's just not the same. And all of that said, and that was a fairly long-winded response to your question, all of that said, I want to make this perfectly clear. I am not complaining. I am not dissatisfied. I am glad we're working. Uh, We are now allowing fans into our building and we're glad to have them. Uh, we're appreciative of all the support we get. So I'm specifically responding to your question, and and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm complaining because I'm not. I, our behind-the-scenes people are spectacular. They give us the best possible setup. We're very lucky in that regard, but it's not the same.
0: No, ag- agreed. Uh, and I think one of the things that we find that we do miss is the personal interaction with our peers from other teams because how many times is there a pregame conversation between announcers – about again those contextualizing things and those are the things that you really miss and to the viewer they may not or a listener they may not totally get that but to us yeah you're right there is that sense of of disconnection and zoom is not quite the
1: same but uh, no it's and you know we have addressed that to a degree and and i hope that you'll be able to join us on tuesday we're doing uh, for lack of a better term, they're not technically Zoom, but I think most people out there know what Zoom is, and, and this is a different app, but that's not important. We have conference calls with the other team's broadcasters before every game, something we've done since the start of this season. It's not the same as as uh, running into a peer or a writer or an assistant coach when you're down on the floor. Even when we're doing home games, and I assume you guys are the same, we're not allowed to go down on the floor and, and interact with anyone. We have to stay correct. And so we don't have access. But we do these things before the games. And um, I'm finding two things, Pete. Number one, uh, it's useful. Uh, We had a game with Charlotte on uh, Wednesday and uh, we spoke with their guys before the game and we got some nice stuff and we shared some stuff with them. But more than that, it's just seeing your peers. Otherwise, we'd have no interaction with each other at all. And like I said earlier, it really surprises me how disconnected I feel because of that. I did not anticipate that. No, yeah, that that is uh, that is the price we're paying for the pandemic.
0: Mark, thanks so much for the
1: time and uh, good luck down the road. Anytime, Pete, enjoyed it. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you on Tuesday. I hope.
0: And that was our conversation with Mark Boyle, longtime radio voice of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, really, an interesting guy to talk to. Chess player, cat aficionado. Uh, he's done all kinds of. Unusual things in his time off, including uh, doing Cape Cod League baseball, just because you want to do some minor league baseball during the summer when the NBA was not playing. Interesting guy, good friend, and a friend of the program. Well, let's go into the final segment of today's episode. With 901 Knowledge, we've got Jeff Calkins. It's part two of our conversation. Uh, Jeff Calkins talking about the history of the MLK Day game in Memphis and also his love for Bernie's Mountain Dogs. 901 Knowledge. Let's get some. I'm glad you brought up Andy Dolich because Andy was the driving force behind the MLK Day game in Memphis. And Memphis has become the epicenter uh, of the civil rights discussion, particularly on the MLK weekend. We saw during the bubble in Orlando a lot of social justice uh, messaging on the part of the players. There will be a continued uh, effort by the players to to talk about Black Lives Matter and those types of things. Um, you get it as not only as a sports columnist, but as a radio show host, stick to sports. And that's kind of hard because even though we make our daily bread talking about sports, we're also citizens of the world and and, and have concerns that go outside the lines of a basketball court or a football field.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's the truth of the matter is, is that sports and, I mean, and the, sports and and, the, and society have been forever intertwined and, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, that goes back to Jackie Robinson and Jesse Owens and the Mexico City Olympics. And I mean, we can go on and on and now we've seen it much more recently, but how do you quote unquote stick to sports when play in the bubble is disrupted or not disrupted is suspended um, because of players' concerns um, over Black Lives Matter, police brutality issues. Well, where is the line there that I'm supposed to walk? And I will say this, like, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that for the last, you know, I do a radio show every morning from nine to 11. And starting with this pandemic, There was a lot of times when we didn't have a lot of sports to talk about. And or to the extent we were talking about sports, it would be how would we make it through and whatever else. And and this, you know, Memphis is a it's a blue town, but it's surrounded by red. It's a very interesting community in that way. And we talk openly about politics and uh you know, food and all, all movies and all kinds of things. Um, and throughout some of this sports was about half of what we talked about. And our ratings have never been higher. And obviously that ratings, you know, can be fluky or whatever else, but the truth of the matter is, I don't, I think the few people who yell, stick to sports are not representative. I think most of us are complete humans who have interest in all kinds of things. And, Happily, sports is one of those things. And it's been one of my abiding interests since I was that 12 year old. But um, it's not the only thing. And, you know, it would be like telling a plumber to stick to plumbing. Well, he probably has thoughts on, you know, what's happening in his community and his neighborhood and whatever else, too. So I've never just stuck to sports and I don't plan to stick to sports. I try to be respectful of other people's views. And, but I'm always impressed when I open the phone for callers. They they rise to the occasion like even if they disagree, I, I don't actually think we are as divided as sometimes social media makes us makes us look and um, and and I think if you have open, respectful discussions, I think that's a good thing to do, whether it's in print,
0: radio or anywhere else. You've obviously interviewed your share of characters, and I use that word advisedly in in Memphis. A favorite, a favorite interview or an interview that you walked away and said, I wasn't expecting that that was far better than I anticipated.
2: Um, You know, anytime you talk to Shane Battier, like he was a guy who liked, he liked, he liked choosing the right words, you know, like Shane would think about the right words. And, and so that was always like a, a pleasure. I will say the whole Hubie Brown experience when he was hired, it was, there was a lot of eye rolling. What in the world? How are you going to bring Hubie Brown in here? He hasn't coached in 10 years and in the NBA and, and just such a delight. And, um, you know, every, every single, every single post game, interview session was a um, was an education in basketball, but Hubie was also someone who was interested in, in, I'm always, I, I'm always impressed in people who will ask you about you. You know what I mean? And, And not that I need to talk about myself. I do it plenty, but so many athletes have been the focus of being interviewed for so long that I'm, and one of the surprising things was Zach Randolph was someone who would always ask about my family and, it shows that he's not just purely inwardly oriented he was not the, just the center of his own universe and um so that always impressed me brady white is a is a quarterback who just finished up at the university of memphis who really and, and it's sort of a cliche that he's a um he's getting his phd's thoughtful guy all of that um but i was really impressed this year after memphis was eliminated from um competing for the conference championship this year. And he was asked if the year was a success. And he said, listen, you're always going to want to win the championship. But I went into this year with the goal of just trying to be present. And to me, you know, just trying to hang in there, be upbeat, be present, be a positive force and get whatever there was to be gotten out of this year. And um, And I think that summarized what a lot of us feel about 2020. I don't know that I was, you know, that everyone was the did the best at their jobs that they've ever done this year. If you just showed up and you hung in there and you did the best you could as a parent, as a teacher, as you're the whole where you're remaking everything. You weren't trying to win a Pulitzer this year. You were trying to survive and do your best. And, I didn't necessarily expect the Memphis football quarterback to put it that way on the day that he was eliminated from championship contention. But um, I think he spoke for a lot of people in society or the way we should think about this year um, with the way that he talked about that.
0: Yeah, Brady White, as impressive a young man as I ever see, as I've ever seen covering sports or, or really in any walk of life. One, one final thing: you talk about life away from sports, and you have a hobby or a passion. Maybe is perhaps a, a better way of putting it. With Bernie's Mountain Dogs, right,
1: yeah.
0: tell me, tell me, yeah. tell me, tell me a little bit about the, the Bernie's Mountain Dogs you know, and, and I had, I have a cousin that had multiple burners. So I'm familiar really? with the breeds. So I understand. Yeah. I understand the attraction, but tell us a little bit more about, about your love I mean, affair. We with all the have our things, you
2: know, but I grew up on a farm, like my parents were doctors, but we grew up and we had um, sheep and chickens and pigs and horses and, and baby, you know, we, we would, there would always on the farm, there were babies of all sorts born and, and my mom raised standard poodles and whatever. We just had lots and lots of critters. Well, I live inside the city limits of Memphis, and so I, I'm not doing that. But um, I always back to that 12 year old. And I think for a lot of us, if you think what you really liked at 12, I think those are the things. A lot of those things you still like today. You know, I think you're you that that inner kid. And I literally, when I was 12, I sent away for a ceramic Bernese Mountain dog at one point. I never pulled the trigger and never got one Well, I was getting divorced and some people go get a convertible. And I said, now's the time I'm going to go get a Bernie's mountain dog puppy. And, uh, and I had three boys and this dog was just the, you know, everyone, I, I think a lot of people that it, who have dogs, there's a lifetime dog. There's the best dog you ever had. And Libby helped me raise my boys. Like she was the softness in this household, loved everybody. Um, you know, I thought I was a dog whisperer because she was so well behaved. Would never think about running out, running away. If you ever, if she got locked, if she slipped out of the house, she'd just wait at the front door and say, "Why the hell did you leave me out here?" Like she <laughs> would. And so she was a great dog. And then i I ended up breeding her. And there's a long story about, uh, uh, involving the playoff run, which I won't get into. And T.J. Simers <laughs> in the L.A. Times. But I had one litter of puppies then. And in order to be a responsible breeder these days, the hoops that you have to go through, um, you know, the, the seven different types of DNA testing and whatever, to, whatever hips, elbows. But anyway, so I had one litter then. And then I uh, ended up having a second litter just this year. And I got one puppy, one puppy. And his name is Gus. He's a boy. And I decided to keep him. So now I have three Bernice Mountain Dogs. And um, they're giant. And they shed like crazy. Um, but they don't really care if I wrote a good column or a bad column. And um, and particularly during the pandemic, I do think, you know, we saw lots of adoptions of dogs during the pandemic. That was wonderful to see because we've all been home with our dogs. Like I saw, I saw a meme. Someone said this human being is one screen saying, this is the worst year ever that I've ever had, whatever. And the the next screen, the dog is saying, this is the best year I've ever had. My human's been home every single day. <laughs> yes. And um, the dogs have had a good year. You know, the rest of us, hopefully 2021 will be better. But I, I tweet out too many pictures of the Bernice mountain dogs. If I did it with my children, people would think I was a total lunatic and maybe they do anyway, but people are forgiving of puppy pictures. And I, and I appreciate that. So I guess I'll keep tweeting them.
0: <laughs> well, I, 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 will say that I appreciate seeing a lot of Gus on your social yeah. <laughs> media. So Jeff, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, it's a pleasure, Pete. Thanks very much. And that's nine Oh one knowledge for this edition Episode 9 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Jeff Calkins, you can read him at the Daily Memphian. Well, that does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Hope you enjoyed it. Our thanks to Jeff Calkins and Mark Boyle and to you for listening. Coming up in future episodes, a conversation with Monty McCutcheon from the NBA Officiating Office on the challenges of referee operations in the pandemic environment. This is Pete Bradica. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network.